Thank you. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. It'll be page 709 in the Pew Bible. If you'd like to use the Pew Bible, page 709, Mark chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 19. 7 through 19, two paragraphs in contrast to each other. Interesting passage. Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin at verse number 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. And Jesus then went up on the mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that he might be with them and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonager, I guess. French, maybe. <laughs> to which they called the Sons of Thunder, I guess. <laughs> then there was Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, in this amazing passage, where we see such a contrast between the large crowds and this small group, I pray you'll open our hearts to see what it is that you have for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. You might remember the story about the, uh, the fellow who was saved through the ministry of the Salvation Army. And so he started attending the Sunday services of the Salvation Army there at the Citadel. And after a couple of weeks, so he came home and he was very disheartened and very sad and his wife asked him, what's, what's the problem? Why are you so sad today? He said, well, you know, I have noticed that everybody there is wearing a red sweater. And I don't have a red sweater. So she thought for a minute, she said, not a problem. So the coming week, she knitted him a, new, a, a red sweater. They were very simple people. In fact, neither one of them could even read. Well, the next Sunday, he goes to the Citadel to the worship service at the Salvation Army. And he comes home and he's, again, he's sad and disheartened and dejected. And she said, what's the matter? What's the problem? He said, well, everybody has the red sweater, but theirs all has lettering on it and mine doesn't. 
And she thought for a minute, she said, okay, okay. So the following, so that during that week, she was out shopping. And she saw a sign in a window that was red. And she thought, that's perfect. So she carefully writes down the lettering. And then embroiders it on his sweater. Well, the next Sunday, he goes to church with the red sweater with the new embroidering, embroidering on it. And, and when he came home, she asked him, did they like your sweater? He said, they loved it. They loved my sweater more than they liked theirs. You see, what they didn't know was the sign she copied said, under new management. And, you know, I cannot think of a better way to describe what it is to become a Christian than to say, we're under new management. And, you know, that that implies almost uh, that there's going to be some changes taking place, right? New management changes are coming. You know, I was saved when I was eight years old. And... Um, you know, you don't get into a lot of trouble when you're eight years old. And so the, the change that took place in my life were rather small, you could say. And if you were saved as a child, you know, the changes that took place were rather rather small. But I think all of us who were saved at a young age would admit, had Christ not come into our lives at a young age, our lives would have been much different. Now, for those of you who were saved older in life, you probably saw some major changes take place because in Christ you're under new management. Well, what kind of changes do take place, by the way? I mean, that's what we're going to look at. What changes take place when we make that decision that we're going to follow Christ? In our passage today, I read two paragraphs and they could not be in greater contrast to each other. The first paragraph points to a large crowd, perhaps a couple thousand people, who are coming to Christ. I mean, Jesus is drawing people from every... He's drawing people from the local area, Galilee. But he's, he's even drawing people from as far south as Jerusalem, 40 and 50 miles. He's drawing people as far north as Tyre and Sidon, 50 to 60 miles. People are coming from everywhere. And it's not just people from everywhere. He's drawing people from every walk of life. Uh, Jerusalem is Jewish. Tyre and Sidon is Gentile. Galilee there in the middle is sort of a, a mix. You have multinational and multicultural area. I mean, Jesus, his popularity spans cultural barriers, social barriers, economic barriers. People are coming from every walk of life. And they are coming, some of them want to be healed of their infirmity. Some of them want to be free of their demons. Some are coming to see the spectacular, you know. And some are just wanting to see the miracle worker. But the description that Mark gives us of this large crowd is quite amazing because he really portrays them as almost falling over each other, trying to reach out and touch Jesus. They want to see a spectacular moment. And, and Jesus does not disappoint them. But this morning, I want to focus on the second paragraph. The small group of 12. Boy, what a contrast. Thousands 
down there in the valley, you might say, on the ground. And Jesus takes 12 up on a mountain where he takes them through some leadership training. And it is here in the lives of the disciples that we begin, that we begin to um, see what happens to us when we come to faith in Christ. So we're going to see three things of what it means when Jesus comes into your life and you come under new management. Three things take place. We're going to look at, we get a new name. We get a new direction in life. And we get a new intimacy with the Lord. Let's take a look. First of all, first, Jesus calls us by a new name. Notice the very first thing that Jesus does in verse number 16. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, the fisherman, Simon the fisherman, to whom he gave the name Peter. Remember what Peter means? Rock. Peter the rock. And then there's James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, calling them uh, the Bonagers, I guess, sons of thunder. I don't know. Maybe it was their personality. But, but you know, I, I tend to think, in fact, we'll see here in a minute. In fact, it's right here in Revelation. I think all of us get a new name. Notice, to him who overcomes, I will give a white stone with a new name written on it. All of us. You know, when, when Saul of Tarsus comes to faith in Christ, he gets a new name, Paul the Apostle. One's name, by the way, you know, we talk about names. In ancient times, names were a big thing. They were extremely important. They identified who you were. And by the fact that Jesus is now giving his disciples a new name, that is significant. He is changing their identity. He's changing who they are. Now, you might be thinking, well, Scott, you know, that was then, this is now. Names are not that important today. I differ with you on that. And I'll tell you why. Well, take for, let me give you a couple examples. Take a look at the, uh, the Washington football team. Now, this, they're having a terrible year. You know why? They don't know who they are. They have, they're, they're having an identity crisis. That's a problem they're having. Now, that's to our advantage, obviously. They don't know what their purpose or who they are. Or this, maybe on a more, on a more personal level, level. Um, why did, is your Danielovich, is your Danielovich change his name to Kirk Douglas? Or Lenny Sly? Change his name to Roy Rogers. Or Marion Morrison. Change his name to John Wayne. Exactly. Well, you can't have a cowboy named John. Marion, really? Well, maybe you could today. But, you know, years ago, you don't have a cowboy named Marion. You know why? You see, they changed their name. They could not reinvent themselves unless they change their names. Names are important. Think about this. Many of us here are parents. Do you remember what you went through to name your children? We wanted to name our child the perfect name. And so we, we wrestled with that. Debbie and I, we even bought a book 
Did you know there are books with names in it? Books with na- the boys' names and the girls' names. And we bought a book because we wanted to, we wanted to pick just the right name. By the way, this, I heard this interesting, funny story. Back in the 60s, do you remember, some of you remember the hippie movement uh, back in the 60s and, and uh, especially out in California. And, you know, some of those uh, young people, uh, you know, started uh, having children. Some of them got married, some of them didn't. But they began having children. And, and in that hippie culture, they, they didn't want to have an establishment kind of a name. So they began naming their children with, well, rather unusual names like Butterfly, Moonbeam, Sparrow, <laughs> Rainbow. In fact, it wasn't a number of years ago, there was actually an Olympic gold medalist in alpine skiing, Peekaboo Street. Remember her? Well, the story is that in California, in San Francisco, as these children began, you know, enrolling in school, teachers had to get adjusted to some of these unusual names. Well, in one particular school, a little boy showed up in his class, first grade, first day of school, and his name tag said, Fruit Stand. Now, the teacher said, I've seen a lot of unusual names, but that one takes the cake, okay? But, you know, and through the day, she, she would say, now, fruit stand is, is snack time. Would you like a snack? Fruit stand is it's recess. It's time to go out. She really tried her best to engage this child the best she could. Well, at the end of the day, and by the way, the little child, very shy, didn't really say anything. At the end of the day, she's walking her students out to the bus to take the bus home. And she asked him, now fruit stand, which bus is yours? He didn't say a thing. Not unusual. He hadn't talked really all day. So she remembered, ah, parents were supposed to write the bus stop on the other side of the name tag. So she turns the name tag over and it says, Anthony. All right. <laughs> Names are important. We all want to go by our real name. You know, by the way, you know, in some cultures, you get your name from your family. That's why we have uh, surnames like Johnson, Williamson, um, Anderson, um, Thompson, and many others. We get our identity from our family in some cultures. In other cultures, they got their identity from their occupation. And that's why some people have names like Carpenter, plumber, baker, uh, smith, and other names. That's where they got their identity. And if your identity is connected to your job, you know what happens when you retire? You lose your identity. You lose a sense of who you are as a person. Your value and your purpose in life is gone. Or if your identity is with your family... And your children grow up and they move away. You begin to lose a sense of who you are as a person. Your value and your purpose. And that is why Jesus says, I have a better way. I am going to give you a new name. And the name I give you will be a stable name. It will be a name so stable that nothing on earth can shake it. It will be... uh, 
an industrial strength name with an industrial strength meaning. And no matter what you go through, wealth or poverty, winning or losing, up or down, good or bad, your name will hold up. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new name, an industrial strength name. Now think about this for a minute. What this tells us, the fact that the Lord gives all of us a new name when we come to him, this tells us that he takes great interest in each and every one of us. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I call them by name. Think about that. The good shepherd knows each one of us by the name that he has given to us. A new name with a new identity. We're not the person we used to be at one time. Think of it this way, another way. When an artist finishes a beautiful masterpiece, you know what they do? They give it a name. The Mona Lisa. They give it a name. When a sculptor would finish a great masterpiece, something that almost looked alive, he would, at the very end, he would give it a name. You know what the Lord's done? He's made us into a master. He's making us into a masterpiece, I should say. And you know what? He, he's already given to us a new name with a new identity to match who he created us to be. We have a new name. Let me give you a couple of examples. Alice Johnson. Used to be Alice Johnson the convict. Today she's Alice Johnson the chaplain. Greg Laurie. Used to be Greg Laurie the teenage drug addict. Today he's Greg Laurie the pastor. Lee Strobel. Used to be Lee Strobel the atheist. Today he's Lee Strobel the Christian author. And that's what God has done for every one of us. He's given us a new name with a new direction and a new purpose in life. And we all need that. We all need a sense of identity. And the Lord has given to us that new name. All right, that was first. Notice the second thing that happens when we come under the new management of Christ. The second thing is we have a new direction. Notice in verse 14, it says that he appointed 12 designating them apostles that he might be with that they might be with him and that he might send them out send them out to preach and to have authority over or to drive out demons the the after he names them the next thing he does he sends them out to do what to serve in the community go out and serve that's the new direction that they are taking and it's only through serving as we go and we serve that is really how we come to know who we are our our name and our identity for example uh, Simon each day Simon will go out and he would serve as the Lord sent him out and every day little by little by little he came to know what it meant to be Peter the Rock. Now he had good days. But he had some bad days. But overall. At the end of it all. He gradually became to understand. He's not Simon the Fisherman anymore. He's Peter the Rock. Peter the Apostle. And that has huge implications for us. We are out serving. And as we live out 
our name through serving. That is how we come to discover our gifts. We come to find our purpose and our value. Getting out and serving in the Christian community. Instead of serving ourselves, we serve one another. Instead of living for ourselves, we live for others. Let me give an example. 30 years ago, when I first went into ministry, I graduated from seminary and we moved all the way to Michigan. You ever been to Michigan? You know the standing joke in Michigan is, what are the summers like? I don't know, I wasn't there that day. Well, we, we moved to Michigan and we had a, a children's church ministry and we needed another children's church worker. What we did was we rotated every week. We, had, we wanted four ladies who would oversee that and uh, each one would take a week during the month and then on the fifth Sunday they would alternate that as well. But we, we were short, one lady, and so I, ad- I kind of announced we needed help with that. Uh, dear, she was a grandmother in her 60s. I thought that was old at that time. <laughs> I don't anymore. But she said, you know, Pastor, I've never taught Sunday school. I've never worked with children. But I just feel that maybe God wants me to do this. So the following couple weeks, she sat in and watched the other ladies as they taught the class. And then after several weeks, she began to teach while they watched her. And then after a while, you know what? She was teaching on her own. And sometime later, she came up to me and she said, You know something, Pastor? That was the best thing I ever did. I have never felt so fulfilled in my life as I do now. She said, I feel my life has purpose. I feel my life has value. I feel I'm living what God has called me to do. That is what happens when we begin to live out our name. We begin to find our purpose and live out our value and discover our value. And we do it within the Christian family and within the Christian community. Because it's here that we really help each other, give each other feedback and discovering who it is we really are in Christ. So, he gives us a new name, a whole new identity. We're not that person we used to be. He gives us a new direction to serve others and not ourselves. Last of all, he creates for us, number three, a new intimacy. Verse 14, it says that he appointed 12 designating them apostles that they might be with him. That's the key word, with him. That is the uh, terminology of intimacy. These 12 men would be with Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because the Lord's greatest desire was that they fellowship with him and are close to him. And by naming us, what the Lord is doing is that he is assuring us from his end, he's doing everything that he can do to make sure that we are close to him. By naming us, he's really saying, I'm taking a special interest in you and I am claiming you as mine and I am now going to assume responsibility for your care. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose you have an eight-year-old child. It's a little boy. He wants a puppy. So you get him a puppy. And you bring it home. 
You know how you get a child to take ownership and responsibility for a little puppy? You say to your eight-year-old, I want you to name him. You name your puppy. And you know what happens? When that child gives that puppy its name, that child says, that's mine. I'm taking responsibility for it. When the Lord gives us a name, you know what he's saying to us? You're mine. I claim you. And I am going to make sure you are taken care of and provided for. That's what the Lord is doing. And he's saying, I am taking a special interest in you. In fact, when you look back at the creation account, that is, that's exactly what we see happening. Remember when God created the heavens and the earth and then, and then he created animals and then he, he created Adam. Listen to what God says to Adam. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to Adam to see what? What he would name them. Why didn't God name the animals? He wanted Adam to name them. Why? Because he wanted Adam to have a sense of responsibility. You know, Adam worked in the garden before the fall. Work wasn't part of the curse in the sense that, well, it is in the sense of working by the sweat of your brow and the, and the hardness of it, but Adam worked in the garden and he cared for the animals. That's why God said, you name them. You take responsibility for them. You care for them. And that's why God says, I'm going to give you a new name. He's taking up responsibility. He's really saying, you're in my hand. You're under my care. You are mine. And by the way, the length to which we are willing to walk with the Lord to that length, we will come to really know our name, our real new identity. We'll come to sense our purpose and that we do have value. So what does it mean when we come to faith in Christ. Yes, we come under new management. And that means we get a new name. We have a new direction in life. And we have a new intimacy with God in heaven. So here's what I want us to take home today. Following Christ means living by a new name, walking in a new direction, and enjoying a new intimacy. Following Christ, you know what? We're living by a whole new name because we're a different person. And we're, we are, uh, we're walking in a new direction in life. And we are enjoying a wonderful intimacy with the Lord. Now, Luke, in his gospel, records the same event. But Luke adds an interesting detail. Now, Luke tells us that when the Lord sent them out, he sent them out two by two. And then after a while they came back and they began to report how wonderful it was and the great responses that they were getting as they were out preaching the gospel and, and casting out demons. And Jesus, you know what Jesus does as they're sharing all this wonderful news? Jesus cuts them short. He stops them and here's what he says to them. He said, hey, don't rejoice. Don't rejoice that spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Wow. 
That is Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Rejoice. Don't rejoice that the demons are, 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 are responding to you. You need to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. I hope your name is in, written in heaven. And if you're not sure, you can be sure. You put your trust in Jesus Christ and your name will be written in heaven. You will be a child of God. You will come under his love and care. He will care, he will care for you. You will be in his hand forever. Put your trust in him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage that reminds us of how you reached down and pulled out these 12 and began working in their lives as you're working now in our lives as your children with a new name, a new direction, and this new wonderful intimacy with you. And Father, if there is someone here today, they've never come to faith in Christ. They don't know their name is written in heaven. I pray that today they will come to faith in Christ. Their name will be written in heaven and have eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together the greatest thing. Two verses. like to speak to someone or, or pray with someone I'll be up front our elders are here and uh, just come on up after the service and uh, don't forget the uh, my class is at one o'clock and we'll be talking about interpreting prophecy and parables which is a large part of the bible so it's a, a very important uh, class all right let's have a, a closing prayer together father thank you again for your blessings and for your goodness to us and for calling us out of this world giving us a name, a purpose, and a new identity, and, and uh, Lord, just walking with us every day in a new direction. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name I come to you to share his love as he Others will know that I